the perspective of an adult learner is quite different. Mm. What's interesting is that I realize how quite often I know what I ought to do, but mm. for the life of me, I can't get myself to do it yeah. yet. Power to Live More with Joe Dodds. Welcome to the Power to Live More podcast, all about productivity, organization, well being, energy, and resilience. I'm Jo Dodds and I started this show to enable interesting people to share their stories about how they use their power to live more and by that I mean to do the stuff that they want to do more than the stuff that they need to or should do. It's about creating a life for yourself where you have the energy, health and space to be happy and fulfilled, spending your time as you'd like, whether that be at work, home or somewhere else entirely. That's your choice. Hello. My name is Ellie Dodds and I'm co-presenter and today Joe's interviewing Dr Penny Pullum. Penny and Joe have known each other for years after meeting at a conference. They've masterminded together and Penny's been on the show before. Given her expertise in virtual working, now was a great time to get her back. Dr Penny Pullum is a renowned expert in virtual and hybrid leadership. She's the author of the bestseller and CEO today top five book for lockdown, Virtual Leadership, Practical Strategies for Getting the Best Out of Virtual Work and Virtual Teams. Penny works with leaders and teams who are grappling with the challenges of our virtual and hybrid world to enhance collaboration and effectiveness across dispersed and often newly formed teams. Until the lockdowns of March 2020, demand from Penny's work came predominantly from leaders in multinational companies grappling with dispersed programmes and projects teams. Since March 2020, her expertise and advice are being sought by leaders across industries and across the globe, as they realise that working virtually is here to stay, and achieving excellence in it is essential for their business to flourish. She has frequently asked for articles and has been invited to appear on national TV and radio. Penny founded the annual Virtual Working Summit in 2010, and this year's Virtual Summit had participants from 81 countries, a record. Penny was honoured to be one of the first dozen people worldwide to be given the Certified Professional Facilitator Master designation. Her PhD in Nanotechnology and MA in Engineering are both from Cambridge University. She is a Chartered Engineer, along with holding a number of other certifications and qualifications. She lives with her family, adult children and a handful of fish in a market town in the centre of England. When she is not busy at work or writing, she spends her time learning the violin cultivating cucumbers and studying theology. Back to the studio. Today I'm interviewing Penny Pullen of Making Projects Work and this is Penny's second visit to the show. So welcome Penny, great to have you back again. Good to be back again. Lovely, so start by telling us who you are, what you do and where you do it. Well, I'm Penny Pullen and I'm an expert in virtual and hybrid leadership and author of the best-selling book, Virtual Leadership, Practical Strategies for Getting the Best Out of Virtual Work and Virtual Teams. Now, until a few months ago, that was fairly niche. The people I worked with tended to be multinational companies who had major change projects and programs using international teams with people distributed all around the world. And obviously in March, most of the world suddenly discovered that virtual leadership was a good thing 
and nobody asks me what on earth virtual leadership means anymore. And um, yeah, so I do that. Where do I do that from? Well, I have an attic um, office in my home in Loughborough, which is slap bang in the middle of the UK, north, south and east and west as well. Lovely. So I then normally ask people how they got to do the things that they do. And actually, I really want to ask you that because, as you say, what you're doing now is something that people didn't really um well rather not everybody was interested in only a few short months ago and now um almost everybody probably the majority of people of some shape or form have been doing work from home and this has become you know much more um in the sort of public domain as it were but actually Mm. it was a another um awful situation that kicked this off for you so tell us a bit about how you got into being an expert the expert i'd say (laughs) You're very kind, kind, Jo. Yes, it was nearly 19 years ago. I was really, really excited because I was about to launch my very first global program for Mars Incorporated, who I worked for at the time. And I'd arranged for everybody from around the world to meet for a kickoff meeting in New York. I think we're going to spend a week or two together to get this whole program scoped out and sorted. And then everybody would go back to their countries and run the projects in their own countries. And I would coordinate the whole program. The date on my ticket was the 13th of September 2001. Obviously, Everything was ready, my bags were packed, I had my tickets, everything was ready to go. But that date on my ticket meant that that ticket was never used. Because of course, two days before 9-11 happened and that tragedy meant that nobody flew. We were grounded for about three months. In some ways, the lockdown had a bit of a similar feeling to it. Suddenly, overnight, everything changed and we couldn't carry on as before. So that programme, though, still had to carry on. So all these people I'd never met that I was going to spend enough time together to get this programme launched, we had to do it virtually. And we had to do it virtually with 2001 technology. So... We did it. The only video conferencing we had wasn't from little cameras on laptops. It was from a video conferencing suite in the very corner of the office, which tended to be booked up by senior managers. We did have instant messaging and conference calls we used an awful lot of the time. And the great thing was that when I started working like this, I realised, hang on, I seem to be quite good at this. And the facilitation training that I'd had just beforehand meant that I was really tuned into what was working for the group and from the different perspectives of the people involved and how we could really create a high-performing team around the world when we could only meet virtually. A A year or two after that, because I'd been doing a lot of virtual, I was asked to help other people in the company to become better at virtual. And then when I left to start up my own business in 2007, that was one of the things that I was doing, particularly working with with multinational organisations who were grappling with tricky projects that involved virtual, virtual teams dispersed around the world and risk and 
changing requirements and all the other stuff that makes projects tricky. But virtual was always a key part of it. Mm-hmm. And as you say, interesting how how the technology has <laughs> changed and developed since. One of the things I find um, intriguing uh, around this as well is that you are um, very visual. I mean, we've known each other uh, many years and uh, I've sort of followed along and seen other things that you do. And, and one of the things that you've taught people is about how to use um, graphics for yes. communication, haven't you? And so yes. it's interesting... Uh, and I I wonder if some of your um, sort of real skill around this has developed from the fact that you have had that uh, sort of almost non-virtual skill set, if you like, that you then had to create virtually in some way. I didn't have to create the visual stuff virtually because actually visuals work incredibly well virtually. It's fascinating. When I first it did my very first webinar for the Association for Project Management. Um, at the end, the lady running it said, Penny, how did you do it? And I went, how did I do what? I mean, it went very well, but that just seemed normal to me. And she said, what happened was we had people joining as you started and the numbers rose and rose and went up to 205. Um, and then they stayed there. When we finished, there were over 200 on the call at the end of the webinar. And I said, and? (laughs) But normally people join and there's a sort of rising curve. And then almost that curve carries on downward. And by the time they get to the end, there are not that many people on the webinar. I thought, oh boy, that's terrible. Because if you engage people, they will stay and they will pay attention. And one of the things that works really well for engaging people is if you draw And if you do simple visuals and if you draw them live, it's especially good. So when I do sessions with organisations and with individuals, when I'm presenting, yes, I have a slide, but with minimal words on it, with minimal, with some pictures, maybe a colourful mind map, something like that. But I will be drawing and highlighting and circling things as I present and people watch And that means that they stay looking at that screen and that makes all the difference. There are nine other ways to engage people virtually in my book, but that's, that's a very powerful one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's something I've never quite developed as a, as a a skill. I, um, I always laugh when I go and sort of have meetings with people, not that I do that in the same way anymore. Um, but you know, there's so many people who whip out a piece of paper and start drawing as they speak to me to demonstrate something. And that's just not, what I do naturally so in order to to do those sorts of um or use those sorts of um strategies I really have to try extra hard because it's not my natural thing to do I don't even take minutes in meetings (laughs) never mind draw pictures (laughs) Joe you could come on my next graphics course (laughs) which I think I need to run online in fact I have it all ready to go um and I'm just wondering the best time to do it but join me I've not yet got anyone who has (laughs) left unable to do (laughs) <laughs> yes yeah. yeah well I guess we were talking before we came on about how you know we're, we're sort of going through a bit of a transition now from the sort of black and white of you know everything's locked down and there's there's you know quite simple instructions to how it, it's got really quite complicated and I guess a lot of people are in the position of trying to work out what does that mean for their business now now that mm-hmm. you know people are starting to try and sort of move forwards what what, what offerings do people have and how do they do that it's, mm. it's, a, it's a difficult time for a lot of people, isn't it? 
It is. For me, I've been running virtual um, virtual things for a long time. Well, I mean, if I didn't do stuff virtually, it would be a bit, a bit of cop-out, wouldn't it, having written <laughs> virtual leadership? So I have a, an ongoing mentoring group, which I launched six years ago now, um, and that's something that builds community and support amongst a small group of people over a year, although many people have stayed on for two years or, or more. Um, so that's been interesting. And some of those people I've never met face to face. And I have run a graphics course virtually before. I've just had lots of videos redone, thankfully, last year before lockdown, um, which which really make it very clear mm. so that people will be able to see. Yeah. So tell us a bit about how you sort of get done what you get done within your your business um you always come across as somebody who's who's very calm and i was i was reflecting on this week you've got one of your regular summits uh which you'll be able to explain a bit about uh, in a moment mm-hmm. um and where many people have have sort of gone on and and developed and done sort of bigger things and and they have like 30 speakers and whatever whatever you very clearly stuck to something that is obviously working for you. And I see a real consistency in what you do and a real sort of calmness. And I'm just really interested in how you sort of, you know, develop your business and how, how that um, happens really. Is it, I think I suspect it's natural. You're a calm person, (laughs) but tell us more. Well, you can either be calm or you can run around like a headless chicken screaming and probably calm is going to be the most effective, especially in a crisis. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I tend to be very pragmatic. So I see all these summits where there are 30 wonderful speakers in one week. And I think, ah, overwhelm. (laughs) And if I register, I probably go to none of them because it's too much before lockdown people were busy 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 and now in lockdown i've just been speaking to a neuroscientist actually dr linda shaw um just before uh, recording this i've been recording um a session with with linda um for the final the closing keynote of the summit um so many people are fearful there's this sort of feeling of tension the whole time we don't have the bandwidth for huge amounts of stuff. So rather than having 30 people and scrabbling around to find 30 people for a topic, I aim for the best people that I know will be really good. So I've had Graham Codrington, who you and I both know, Perry Timms, um, Jackie Harper on virtual presence, and then Dr. Linda Shaw on, um, on the neuroscience, if you like, of lockdown and beyond and moving from fear and uncertainty um, to new ideas and creativity. So I choose brilliant people. Mm. I'm probably a bit selfish because I choose the people that I think would be brilliant for me to talk to because it's a conversation, fireside conversation, if you like, that people hear. Um, And I gather the questions from all around the world. I do it as if I was one of the participants. How would I like it to be? I don't want 30 people. It's too much in a week. It's overwhelming. Mm. Five really good people. Yeah. And then I want to ask my own questions. I don't want to have somebody. (laughs) If I was a participant, I would want to ask my own questions rather than just hearing people 
blather on for ages Mm -hmm. so I gather in questions and and this morning we've had about 20 questions in from all over the world and every question comes from the individual's perspective so we're getting a much more rounded conversation because of that Mm, yes Uh, it's a a definite recommend for anyone (laughs) who's Mm -hmm. not listened in before and uh, you said uh, both of us know Graham actually I also um, know Perry um, reasonably well. Ah. In fact, there is a, a picture somewhere of our shoes. <laughs> we spoke at an event together, and uh, I had my red speaker shoes, as I used to call them on. And mm-hmm. Perry always has interesting shoes, so somebody took a picture and uh, posted it on Twitter for us. <laughs> I've never met Perry, but yeah. we share a publisher, and they they put us together on a panel webinar at the beginning of lockdown, and we got on so well, and our ideas. Um, complimented each other so well that mm-hmm. I, I thought, yes, I need to invite him. Yeah. So I, I've had, I've been absolutely flooded with people wanting to speak at the summit. I've had some very high-powered people um, contact me, probably about fifty people or so, who all wow. were keen to speak. Um, CEOs of famous companies, all sorts of people. Um, but I thought, actually, it's my summit. I'll do it how I want to. I want mm. to have people that I know are really good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's off. part of the calmness. <laughs> it's yes. my summit. I'll do what I I'll do it how I want to. <laughs> yes. Uh, so tell us a bit about how you get done what you what you need to get done. How do you organise your days? How do you work with people? How do you make sure you do the things that you want to do? Well, I have my calendar, so things go in there. Um, I do also map out the week on a large A3 sheet of paper so I can see what's coming and know what's coming. If there's anything that is specifically date bound at the moment, for example, I'm getting masses of press interest and I've had to write lots and lots of articles. So I've had um, every request for an article goes on a normal size yellow post-it note um, along with the, the name of the the magazine or website or whatever on the left the date it needs to be done by or perhaps the day before the date (laughs) written down the title of what they want me to write for them and a little bit underneath and I put it on my Kanban board now that might sound really really wonderful my Kanban board is effectively my large filing cabinet one side of the filing cabinet is for the stuff to do and the stuff that's in progress is actually ends up the sticky notes end up on my desk while they're being done and then the ones that are complete I move around the corner to the front of the filing cabinet so actually (laughs) if I start feeling oh no there's so much to do and I haven't done anything I can actually see all those completed things I love that and it's it's so much about that whole visual thing for you isn't it is that uh, it's sort of there it's really there so that's uh I just think it reminds me of um my um it, it wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do it because of that needing things to be neat thing. And uh, it just reminds me back to when I was working in an office like 25 years ago. And uh, my (laughs) friend who's still my friend now would open, there were only two of us in this office with lots of filing cabinets. We were in HR, you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And she used to open filing cabinet drawers and then time how long it took me to stand up and go and shut them again (laughs) because I didn't like them making the room a mess. (laughs) They are neat. And they're neatly arranged on the front of the filing oh. cabinet because if it's too messy, mm-hmm. then it just gets to me. So I think it saps yeah. my productivity. <laughs> but, but I do find um, piles. I have things in piles of different things 
I do have a whole office to myself and have done ever since I started the business. So that probably helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm studying as well. So I've got an assignment with big piles for that. And then I have a pile for my summit and I have a pile for my book. I'm writing a book at the moment. Um, so I can sort of move things out the way and shift to the next pile. And then there I am completely focused on the next thing. Yes, yeah. So tell us a bit more about the book. You were um, giving me a bit of an overview of how you sort of put that together before we started. So um, I'm sure there's you know many people listening who have often thought about writing a book. Uh, uh-huh. Not many people will have done, and I'm one of those. <laughs> okay, well, the first thing is um, I had an idea vaguely floating around my head for this book. Um, then I went on Alison Jones's business book proposal challenge for two weeks. And by the end of the two weeks, having not really intended to um, write another book yet, as I'd just published the last one, um, I actually had a fully worked proposal that actually won won a competition and got a publishing deal. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, that was a while ago because I sort of paused. Um, I, I, the way I write a book is I, I map it all out, so I then work out what's in each chapter. Then once I've got each chapter, I then mind map it <clears throat> in colour using computer mind maps. So they're on the computer, but I then scribble all over them. So I, I finish my books in mind maps before I start writing anything. Then the first thing I write is the acknowledgements, about saying how wonderful everyone's been. And maybe it's a bit like a vision board or something, but it seems to happen if I get excited, if I sort of imagine the future having got to the end of the book and it all having been done beautifully, it seems to come true. So as it works for me, it has done so far, I'm sticking to it. It does seem mm-hmm. to work. Um, and then the next thing that I do is I take each chapter, the mind map with scribbles all over it, and I probably come back to the mind map several times. I then use um, transcription. I record myself speaking the chapter, get it transcribed, and then that's the first draft, which of course is probably not brilliant at all, but it's much better than starting with a blank sheet or a blank screen for me. Mm. I used to have a transcriber, then I moved to rev.com, and very recently I found a couple of things. One is um, otter.ai, which is free, and also does very accurate transcription, which I was very impressed at. I've since then, I've actually bought a new service called happyscribe.co. There's an AppSumo offer on at the moment when we're recording. It may well not be available um, when this it, when people play this later. Um, and I've bought um, four hours a month of transcription with that. And it's very good and also does captions for video because I've realized I need to do more video on LinkedIn and things like that. Um, just short little tips. I think I'm going to be doing a lot of that. It seems to be a powerful thing to do and helpful for people as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so that, um, as you say, sort of gets you over that blank page moment that I think mm. probably most people mm. um, <laughs> struggle with. I suppose people who haven't sort of learnt any of the stuff around writing a, a business book um, sort of never think about the fact of what you've just said of, of almost breaking it down into really small parts before yeah. you start and then right. you're just filling in the gaps aren't you absolutely i mean it's just a process mm. um the other thing that i've done now that i'm at the very end stages of this is that i have recruited a team of beta readers i have about 12 beta readers 
and they're brilliant. Um, I put everything up on Dropbox. They read through and put comments on them. Really useful comments. In fact, I could spend my whole time responding to the comments as opposed to writing, churning out the next chapter. <laughs> so I've decided I'm looking at the comments, but I'm not actually going to work through them systematically and update the things I've already put up until I've actually got the whole thing out and then I'll go through and, and use the comments. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm using the comments in the next chapters because I've yes. seen that people have responded. And that means that then I've got all these people as an extrovert, all these people going, oh, when's the next chapter appearing is helping me to get going. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so built in accountability as well. Mm. <laughs> Brilliant. So just sticking on that theme of, of sort of getting other people involved do you work with other people do you you've obviously as you said you've sort of outsourced things before using like rev.com um mm. i guess that's uh, not individuals that you know particularly but have you done that do you do that i have a wonderful va which is probably the reason why i'm so calm in one of my <laughs> virtual summit weeks she lives in south africa um so she starts before me an hour in the summer two hours in the winter if I send something over at the end of the day, she will often get it done before we start, like before I'm back in the office, mm. which is marvellous. And she's very reliable and um, that's made all the difference. She does a lot of the routine things that I just find so boring that I don't do them or I do them badly or I, they take an afternoon to send out one note or whatever. She she does the regular things like that, sending out messages to my mentoring group and things like that. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. I did think it was interesting that you'd booked to record this during the week of your summit. <laughs> Most people wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but we're on Wednesday, you see. Every, all the interviews are now recorded. I'd just done the last one. And yes, I do need to check the transcriptions and I do need to get the files ready for Friday's session. But yeah, all of the bits are, once I've done the interviews and got them sorted, I just send them over and everything appears on the website as if by magic. Mm. <laughs> oh, lovely. So what about other sort of tools and apps? We talked about um, your penchant for, for paper in common with most of my my guests um, mm. but I know that uh, you do use other things too any that you'd recommend yes one that I use a lot in terms of um, if you like an equivalence of paper is one Autodesk sketchbook I have used it in the past as sketchbook pro but it's now available for free for PCs and Macs it's a very simple, straightforward, reliable drawing app for um, PCs and Macs. And what's good is that when I'm doing presentations virtually, I can shift over from PowerPoint and I can have a completely blank screen as if it were a big flip chart and I can draw all over it. So the tool that I use for that is something called a Wacom Intuos tablet, W-A-C-O-M, I-N-T. T U O S. Um, mm. It's they're about sixty quid, I think, in the UK. Um, it's like a mouse replacement, but it means that you can use a pen to draw in quite fine detail on the screen, which makes all the difference when you're working virtually. So, if I do a coaching session one to one with somebody, um, instead of doing it with videos visible, I will instead just do it with audio. And I will share the um, the picture that I'm capturing, the visual summary of what people are saying. 
I'll capture it on the screen as we go mm. so they can see the thought patterns and the flow of the conversation and mm. people find it very helpful. Yes, yeah, it's interesting. There was a, a guy who did a, a launch about using quizzes for mm. lead magnets a little while ago and he spent a lot of his webinar time using a, a, a screen and a, a pen and, and mm. sort of drawing things out just to illustrate what he was saying, which was really effective, yeah. I've recently got a document camera, which means that I can actually record what I'm what I'm writing on paper, which is quite interesting. Mm. Just as another way of doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. As in what? As in it, it turns it into a computerized version of what you've done. Do you mean? It's just a camera that focuses yeah. down. It's like an overhead projector, but it's got a digital camera. So it projects it onto the screen and then you can, so it means that instead of having to right. draw on the screen, you can actually just write on a, on a bit piece of paper, paper in yeah. front of you and that's visible to everybody. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ah. So what about looking after yourself? Um, and I guess I'm asking these sorts of questions at a time when we've all been perhaps doing different things or either stepping it up or, or letting it go, depending on how our personal view on lockdown has been. What, what sort of things uh, do you do to, to keep yourself energised for, for what you need to get done? Well, I tend to be quite a relaxed, let's let it all go um, type person. But actually, a, a few I've done a few things because I'm not travelling as much as I normally do. And I would, while I work virtually a lot, I do also... Um, say in February I'd been working in London for several days going down to work with clients or to meet people and so on I haven't done any of that as I've been around the whole time I've actually discovered some green fingers and <laughs> I have two cucumber plants that are about 10 foot tall and both have their first flowers on today I can report and Ooh, lovely squash <laughs> plants and courgettes and beans and strawberries and tomatoes and it's a good thing because we're just having to go into three weeks of shielding so we won't be going anywhere um, and those will keep us going which is good so yeah so that that's been interesting I'm getting quite good at pulling up ivy and nettles um, mm -hmm. tackling the garden all of that's good um, and I've also changed what I eat because I I've had a cough for years and years and years and I finally sorted out what it was um, and it's actually related to what I eat so I've been cutting out some things from from my diet um, which were inflaming the back of my throat and my vocal cords and eating quite a restricted incredibly healthy but quite restricted um, food so having a new routine is pretty much coincided with lockdown and talking to Linda Shaw earlier today, I've made me realise that this routine of having a different habit and a different way of eating has probably helped put structure into this time when routine is actually really helpful. Mm. Um, when so many people are feeling fearful and so on, actually a routine can be a building block to help you help you keep going. Yes, and it's had the added bonus of of actually losing vast quantities of weight. So also had to get new clothes or rediscover old clothes from about 20 years ago so yeah all very positive excellent excellent and no cough <laughs> no cough as yet in this session of course having said that you know what will happen next <laughs> yes it's funny i've been uh, working with some students around running webinars in the um last few months and there's one guy who every time he goes to run a webinar 
actually coughs all the way through it and he hadn't realized and it was only because I was you know critiquing it mm. that I sort of noticed it and uh, yeah so we were saying it's it's obviously some sort of nervous reaction to the, the <laughs> situation because he doesn't do it the rest of the time it's it's interesting how funny oh I love being on webinars I think I sort of relax even more yes yeah so uh, next question um, is about what you do to relax. And I'm, I'm particularly asking this question because I know already <laughs> and I have something to contribute to this too. But you tell us first what you do. <laughs> well, I started learning the violin as an adult um, about 40 years after my mother had had such um, found it so difficult. Three months of me and my sister learning the violin when I was about four or five or six or something she found it so hard to cope with that she actually sold our violins without telling us Aww. and anyway so I came back to it when my my child was about to um learn the violin I said can can we have joint lessons and yeah I've been I've been learning ever since but about seven or eight years ago a wonderful teacher really wonderful teacher that I had for a year emigrated to Barcelona and I was heartbroken because she's such a good teacher and the teachers that followed weren't a patch on her at all. So at the beginning of lockdown, we got in touch. Um, and it, I said, you know, what about doing a Zoom lesson or two? And she agreed. And so every week on a Sunday afternoon, I spend an hour having a violin lesson. And then the idea is that um, I'm meant to do quite a bit of practice every day. <laughs> Doesn't always happen. No. It's it's been crazy and all these articles people have been asking me to write and and so on um but it's good and when you're playing the violin there's no way you can think about pandemics or business or your to-do list or anything because it's so complicated what with the bow hand and the <laughs> and the everything else and the pressure and the angle of the string and the getting in tune and goodness knows what else but i love it and mm. actually having had a whole lockdown's worth of lessons it's actually, I'm surprising myself by how good it sounds. <laughs> so I'm so pleased that you were able to reconnect with your violin teacher because um, I guess it's not something that, well, it wasn't something that you thought about. And, you know, we've had the same. Ellie um, is having singing lessons and uh, she's had her piano lessons throughout lockdown through through Zoom. And the singing quite funny because her teacher's like, in his 70s and he kept saying oh not very technical and in fact I don't think they're doing it through Zoom they're doing it through FaceTime because that's about all he could manage but uh, it uh, has been funny but I um, I follow along on Facebook with you because we've been friends for years and uh, I saw you play your violin on the doorstep that was for mm. was that to do with your orchestra because you had some yes yes let me tell you about that that was actually um, just around the time that I had um, reconnected with with my teacher mm. um, and it's really quite bad technically but what happened was there was a um, there's a movement of musicians playing Ode to Joy um, and dedicating it to people around the coronavirus and the orchestra that I play in um, is based in Leicester and quite early on one by one three members of the orchestra died mm. and that was when it really hit me gosh that this is serious yeah um because they weren't ancient and they weren't you know a few months or weeks from dying they probably together had decades left to live mm. and yet 
they are now dead. And when we finally, whenever it is, go back to orchestra, there are going to be three spaces missing. Mm. So the guy who played the horn, the lady who sat behind me playing the second violin, and one of the first violins. And um, so I dedicated my playing to them. Mm. And then, because I was feeling so emotional, then managed to pl uh, play it sounding quite gruesome. But what was lovely was that when I posted it on Twitter, the head of one of the music departments in one of the universities in the UK, a professor of music, um, replied to say how very wonderful it was and how emotional and what a tribute. And I Aww. just thought, oh. Yeah, oh, that's really lovely. Yeah, there was a couple of things for that for me. The first one was, um, you know, a lot of people, even throughout and even now, um, I feel haven't taken some of this stuff seriously and, and certainly mm. somebody I, I have sort of work connections with absolutely believes that it's all made up and uh, you know I very quickly said to him well clearly you don't know anyone who's died and at the time I didn't either um, mm. but you know your example I, I, I you know I'd listened to that early on and thought you know that's scary um, you know at that stage and then another um, friend of mine said that her and her daughter in lockdown have decided to become the old sort of Victorian, um, or was it Edwardian, uh, accomplished ladies. <laughs> so so they've done, they did a list of things they were going to sort of do and learn and so on. And, uh, mm. and she, her daughter was teaching her the violin and uh, she'd also got her flute out from when she was young. And so the combination of those two things happening, I actually went and found my violin <laughs> from oh. my wardrobe and I got oh. out, <laughs> ordered myself a music book and thought, because I have a bassoon and I sing and I played piano, mm. but I thought, you know, I'm going to see if I can play the violin still. And um, what was funny is I, I can just about, and it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And then the second time I went to play it, I, I was tuning it and I thought to myself, it's, do you know, oh no, I had to buy a new bow as well because all the bow hairs had pinged off mm, in years. Mm. I mean, literally, I played violin um, at school. I last played it in the sixth form when I had to do grade six to get my music um, mm. uh, A level. And um, I, uh, so that, so I had to get a new bow. So I'd done that bit as well. So I played it the first time, and then the second time I went to play it, I was tuning, and I was thinking to myself, "It's amazing. These strings have been on this violin for like." 35 years and they're still working at which point it pinged <laughs> yep off and then the other one nearly did the same so I had to buy a whole mm. new set of strings and I haven't got around to putting them on yet so today is inspiring me to go and replace my strings and and have my second violin playing moment since lockdown mm -hmm. so thank you, Penny. <laughs> perhaps I should put you in touch with my violin teacher in <laughs> yes. Barcelona yes exactly I perhaps need to get a little bit better before then mm -hmm. but do you know what I found really interesting is that whole sort of perspective of, of sort of maturity in that mm. I remember when I was playing, uh, you know, when I was young and I used to hate all the different positions and I used to like playing open strings because that was easy, even though mm. you weren't supposed to because you got told, mm. you, you know, you shouldn't because they sound harsh and everything else. Yeah. But it was interesting playing just the, literally the first time with not very much talent. I didn't want to play open strings. I was going into position so that I didn't play open strings because it mm -hmm. sounds so horrible if you do. And I thought I never totally embraced that concept when I was, you know, 17 because mm. I couldn't be bothered. Whereas now I understand the beauty of music too much to use the open strings when I don't need to. Mm. <laughs> <Isn't that> interesting. <laughs> mm. Oh, and I'm a bit better at vibrato as well. 
the perspective of an adult learner is quite different. Mm. What's interesting is that I realize how quite often I know what I ought to do, but mm. for the life of me, I can't get myself to do it yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, I've been so much kinder since to my own, um, to the people I'm working with on practical things, for example, facilitation skills. Mm. Um, people may know how to do something, but habits die hard and they're yes. likely to do other things and need reminding, just as I need reminding many times, yes, try this, a little bit lighter, okay. try a little bit lighter, try a little bit lighter. I know in my head what to do, but there's a difference between knowing it in your head and actually being able to do it. Yes, absolutely. The other thing I, I've learned, which sounds so obvious every time I say it, but I do keep repeating it, um, mm. is how much practice makes a difference. Because I've oh, been playing boy, the yes. piano nearly every day since lockdown, even more than I ever used to. And yeah. clearly, you know, my playing has improved massively. And I keep mm. sort of going, it's amazing, isn't it? What a difference practice makes, which of course is, you know, obvious. But yeah, I've seen it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep trying to tell Ellie that as well but it's not quite having the same sort of <laughs> no no my my kid doesn't practice um instead he just produces amazing exactly. videos yes um with with gazillion different instruments so this is this is a kid who plays about 12 different instruments and sings incredibly well in fact a friend's a friend's used one of his um videos of uh P.A. Yezu for his mum's funeral, which I thought was really yes, rather lovely. Yes, I saw, I saw that recording. That was really good. I think I think he got me back into playing my bassoon again a little while ago as well. So uh, you're doing a good job of inspiring in this house. That's good. <laughs> good to hear. Uh, so what about um, learning and improving yourself? You, I know you're somebody who does do that all the time. How, mm. do, you, how do you do that? Um, with others, if at all possible. Um, so I've just been on a part of a program to improve to really hone in my speaking skills because I'm being asked to do more and more um, inspiring talks around virtual leadership with organizations so I've done that and then in August I'm going to be doing a program with Dr Linda Shaw around the application of neuroscience um, to the work that I do so that's mm. going to be fascinating so yes learning things with other people is is really important mm. and quite structured from what you said as well as in sort of spot a gap spot a, an opportunity and and then go and find yeah the, I mean the other thing I do is I read books voraciously um, mm -hmm. I I just read huge numbers of books and find them so useful and then I try out the things I've learned on the books with the people that I work with and people that I mentor as well and, and actually put things into practice. Yes, yeah. So last couple of questions. What about those days when it goes horribly wrong? I'm, I'm intrigued to ha hear how the, the calm penny deals with those days when it's all just going pear-shaped. <laughs> Probably um, just shut the door of my office and go off down the other end of the garden dig up some mud and plant some plants or pull up some ivy and nettles. That seems to work pretty well. Or go away and sort my violin. My teacher wouldn't like that, would she? Or play Scottish laments that just sound wonderfully doleful and can work out any negative emotions quite quickly. Lovely. And what about on those days where you get to live more and that's where you get to do more of the things that you want to do and less of the stuff that you don't want to do? What do those days look like for you? 
I don't know about living more in lockdown, but for example, yesterday I received an absolutely wonderful message and I've been getting quite a few of these recently. And in essence, the message was, um, your book has changed my life. Wow. Um, I'm always a bit stunned when I get them, but this is somebody who had been, I think, working from early morning till late at night, sitting on video meetings all day at the beginning of lockdown, and it was destroying her, really. Um, and she got a copy of my book and read through it and worked out how to be a virtual leader. And obviously is not spending the whole day sitting on those video calls, but working, doing meetings when it makes sense, working with her team um, in between. And she just said, you know, thank you so much. It's made such a difference to me. And if you get one of those every few days, mm -hmm. then I feel like I'm doing what I was meant to be doing. Yes, yeah, yeah. So thank you so much, Penny, for joining me again. And um, I, I always think when I've had somebody on the second time, um, it just reminds me of how, firstly, how full all our lives are. And secondly, how circumstance <laughs> has uh, an impact on us. You know, we, we've had a much different conversation to, to the first time and no, never for a minute did we imagine what would have happened in the last few months uh, before this second conversation. But thank you so much for, for joining me and, and sharing some of, uh, of your expertise. It's been lovely fun. Thank you very much. So tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, in both of those, just look for Penny Pullen, but it's important. It's P-U-L-L-A for alpha, N for November at the end. Pullan, not Pullen. Lots of people look for me as Penny Pullen and they don't find me. <clears throat> but Penny Pullan, I'm pretty much unique in the world. I think there's somebody in their teens in, in the US, but they're so obviously not me that um, <laughs> that's fine. Um, makingprojectswork.co.uk is my website. If you want a copy of my book, virtual leadership penny pull in type it into a search engine and you'll get all sorts of options for getting it brilliant thank you penny all this information is available in the show notes if you go to powertolivemore.com forward slash in this case 170 then you'll find them there and this week i want to talk to you about lead magnets which is what we were talking about at the counterpoint networking meeting on monday we had a discussion about the sorts of uh, media that can be used for lead magnets. So just in case you don't know what a lead magnet is, it's basically a piece of valuable content that you offer to your audience in exchange for them giving you, generally giving you their email address so that you can then follow up with them using autoresponders. You don't have to do that. It could just be a piece of valuable content that you've um, given to uh, create value for your audience and some sort of loyalty so that they keep coming back and at some other stage you get the opportunity to get them onto your mailing list but generally you'd use a lead magnet to uh, exchange their email on your mailing list for this particular piece of content so we talked at the meeting about um, ebooks which have been you know something that have been around for a long time they're l perhaps less um uh, sexy than they might have been in the past because there's ebooks available you know everywhere kindle themselves have a load of free ebooks never mind um 
those that you pay for, but they're still useful if it's about content that that uh, person really wants and you're selling it well with a really hooky title, then people will still download ebooks, even if they don't end up reading them, um, because they want the value that you're providing. It might be that you've created a short video to explain something that they want to know about and you're offering that to them. Uh, it could be um, a checklist. Checklists are really um, popular at the moment, uh, a way of people taking action really easily by following a list of uh, items that you've created for them to enable them to do something. And so we talked about those examples and a number of other examples and, and another one actually thinking about it that we've talked about a lot recently, particularly my membership site is about quizzes, how you can ask people to or offer to people to complete a quiz. And as a result of that, you get to add them to your mailing list. You can send them some useful content that relates to whatever it is they said in the quiz uh, as they answer the questions, but also you can use it to segment those people so that you know uh, what to send them based on the answers that they gave to the quiz. So uh, that's some of the discussion that we had. I created uh, an, a checklist for the members to download, uh, which gives those ideas and talks about how if you can create lead magnets that are uh, really connected to a piece of content and you sort of flex and have a different lead magnet for each different piece of content that you have on your website it can be really effective so somebody reads something on your website they read your blog your article about a particular topic that they want to find out more about and then you offer them a deeper dive into that information in some way and then you can see how people are much more likely to take you up on that and um, download or sign up for the lead magnet at that stage so uh, just so you know when we have meetings I make some notes and I create a blog post on the Counterpoint Networking site for the people who've been at the meeting. If you join Counterpoint Networking, which is free, and you come to any of the meetings, you can get access to all the meetings that are on the website. So if you're interested in getting that download, then uh, do go to counterpointnetworking.co.uk and join as a free member. The other thing is that I found an article following the meeting that was written on the blog of cindybidar.com, who I have had on my podcast, in fact, and she talks about 11 creative lead magnet ideas to grow your list. And there were some great ideas in there about things like creating calendars and planners that people can download and uh, habit trackers. And she talks also about quizzes and one that was particularly interesting to me because one of my members has been creating some training around Trello is one of the suggestions was to create a Trello board that you could then share with your audience around some sort of plan whether that be a holiday plan or a social media plan or even a, a, les a lesson plan thinking about uh, all the homeschooling people have been doing so that was a really interesting article as well which I have shared on my social media but again the link to that is in the article on the Counterpoint Networking website if you're interested. Next week's meeting, which is on the 10th of August, two o'clock on Monday afternoon, British summertime, is on the topic of productivity tools. So if you're interested in that, then also visit the website. And if you go to counterpointnetworking.co.uk forward slash 200810, then that'll take you directly into the page where you can book to come to that on Monday. Again, the show notes for this week's show are at powertolivemore.com forward slash 170. And we look forward to speaking to you next week. Use your power to live more.